Oh, good to see you. Good to be with you, church. You're happy. Glad to be here this morning. Uh, Sarah's right. I mean, I know it. I know when you look outside and it's that cozy snow's falling and man, it just, your bed's calling to you. And I've been there, man. I've, I've been there like a few hours ago, but I so appreciate you guys just being faithful and coming this morning. I want you to get stirred up a little bit. Can you do that? Can you get excited about the word of God? It makes all the difference on what you get out of it. And I've said this for so many years, you know, you could have two people come into the same service, sit in the same room, sit right next to each other, sing the same songs, hear the same words, read the same scriptures. One leave changed and the other leave bored. How's that possible? How could somebody or how could two people hear the same stuff and it have such a huge impact on one life and have seemingly no impact on the other? Huh? How's that possible? Well, it has to do with the way that you hear it. Jesus said, take heed. We might say, wake up, pay attention to what you hear or to how you hear. Take heed to how you hear it. In other words, pay attention to how you're paying attention. Man, if you come into this place stirred up and excited, in faith, believe in God to see something, hear something, receive something, guess what's going to happen? You're going to see, you're going to hear, you're going to receive. But if you come dragging in here trying to check a, a, a box of obligation, you know, I did it, fine, happy, God, you know, come to church because that's what we do, come dragging in. Man, it makes a difference on what you get out of it. So right now, even if you are maybe a little sleepy, a little cozy, stir yourself up a little bit. Stir yourself up. Get some excitement about you. Get ready to receive the word. Now, I'm not saying this is going to take all morning long, and I'm asking for some extra grace to get this done quick. But listen, is there something more important than what you and I are about to hear? This is the word of God. This is the word of the living God. The one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who gave you breath today. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our attention. So you're excited. I'll give you three great, three guesses where I want you to open your Bible. The first two don't count. If you've been with us since the beginning of this year and really since before the beginning of this year, we've been looking at first Peter chapter five, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, and it's in these words that the Lord is setting the tone and setting the expectation for what he wants to do in our lives and in the life of this church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, read these words with me, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. What is it the God of all grace wants to do? He wants to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, settle us. Now we've been talking about this for weeks now, but what kind of condition are you in when the Lord has done this in your life? When, when things were missing and things were broken and the God of all grace went to work perfecting you, what are you? You are better than ever. Those are the words the Lord gave us to be in faith about in 2022. What, what's happened in 2022? We are better than ever. How you doing? 
Are you getting good at that yet? Man, I hear it around all the time. It's been great hearing it. How you doing? I'm better than ever. How's your family doing? Are you? How's, how's your marriage? How, how are things financially? How are things at work? Things at school? Things at home? Better than ever. And man, the, the, the further you go with stuff, you can, you can hear it. The, 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 the first couple answers, better than ever. And the, the more options you give and the more questions you ask people, well, better, I guess. I don't know. But the point is we got to stay stirred up about it. And no matter what you see and no matter what you feel, as a person of faith, you don't wait to see something before you say something. Now, we're not trying to deny the existence of a problem. We're not trying to bury our heads in the sand and saying that something bad doesn't exist. What we're doing is we're being like our father, declaring the end from the beginning. And that no matter what it looks like, I'm declaring what we're headed towards is better than we've ever been to the best shape of our lives. And that was the, the, the word the Lord gave us about 22, this year, 2022. And he took us here to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And using these words, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us to paint a picture of a life better than it's ever been. Perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. Now we spent the last several weeks we took a couple of weeks there and talked about vision and had Vision Sunday together. But since the beginning of the year, we, we spent time focusing in on that one statement in this verse, after you've suffered a while. We came to realize, man, there's some stuff we may not understand about suffering. And, and there are people that think they're professionals at it. Just because they're in pain or something's uncomfortable or something doesn't seem right, they, they think, well, you know, I'm suffering and that scripture says, after you've suffered a while, the God of all grace will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And I can almost hear people going, God, have I suffered long enough yet? But that's not the right mentality. We've come to see over the last several weeks that the scripture has some things to say about suffering and suffering according to the will of God that most of the rest of the world and much of the church has no clue about. They think that if it's pain, it must be suffering. And since God is quote unquote sovereign, he must have done it. And we're finding out from scripture that that's just not true. I said, that's just not true. It's a big lie that the church has bought. And, and though there are many things that Jesus has redeemed us from, things that we are not destined or called to suffer in this life. We've been redeemed from sin. We've been redeemed from sickness. We've been redeemed from oppression and depression and poverty and lack, which means I don't have to suffer that stuff. And yet right on the other hand, there are things according to the word of God that you and I are called to suffer according to the will of God. And that's what we spend our time looking at. And we just picked out three things from these scriptures and, and several others. Things that we could say would be a suffering according to the will of God. One of the first things we looked at is the suffering of submission. You remember this? What it means to bring yourself under. To bring your will under the will of God. And Jesus taught us how to do this. But though he taught us how to do it, he did not redeem us from it. His submission did not redeem you or me from submitting. He just showed us how to do it. 
And no place did he show us more clearly how to do it than in the garden just before the cross. When he's crying out, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. That's the suffering of submission. And that right there is the key. You hear me? The key to every miracle, every manifestation of the grace of God all throughout Jesus' ministry. Where did that great power come from? His submitting. Not my will, yours be done. He said, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's the suffering of submission. We went on and talked about the suffering of resistance. In other words, there are things we are supposed to submit to, and there are other things that we are supposed to resist. And this is one of the big things in the Christian life. Man, if you can learn this, you are miles ahead of most people in the world. Because most people are yielding to things they should be resisting and resisting things they should be submitting to. They got it backwards. But if you and I can get this figured out right here, learn what to submit to and learn what to resist. What is resistance? It's, it's not tolerating. It's not putting up with. It's not just accepting certain things. And the scripture talks to us and, and instructs us, commands us, resist the devil. It's right here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Resist the devil. Yes, there is a devil. That comes as a big shock to a lot of people. But you have an adversary. You have an enemy. And he must be resisted. Resist the devil. He said here in 1 Peter that the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Not that he is one, that he's like one imitating one, impersonating one, seeking whom he may devour. Don't you like the sound of that? That means there are some he may and some he may not. Well, who, who may he devour? The ones that won't resist. That's the easiest lunch you ever had. That's the easiest devouring he's ever done is, is attacking somebody who refuses to resist. You know who he, whom he may not devour? Me, you, if we will submit to God and resist the devil. What's the Bible say in James 4? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Glory to God. So there is a suffering of submission. And there is a suffering of resistance. What makes resistance suffering? Because your flesh does not feel like doing it. Especially in the times when you need to do it more. You need to do it the most. It's the last thing your flesh wants to do. I've told you this before, but man, I have such vivid memories of this. And like we were already talking today about the difference between growing up in a house of faith and any other house. In our house, man, we did not put up with sickness. We did not tolerate it. We didn't pet it. You know what I mean? Mom and dad didn't, it, it, it wasn't, you know, oh, baby, bless his little heart. He not feeling good. Come here, let mama love on the baby boy. We didn't have any of that. Man, you thought twice about going in and telling mom and dad you don't feel good because it's not about to be, you know, sitting on the couch, watching TV all day. You got some work in front of you. Because if you don't feel good, all right, 
okay, here's what we're going to do. Lights are coming on. Covers are coming off. Jeremy, get your Bible. Jeremy, get your confessions out. Jeremy, get your papa tapes. Get your Mimi tape. I mean, this is back in the tape day. Anybody remember a tape? And you put the tape in and what's going on? Even if you are going to lay down and rest, you're going to hear the word coming at you over and over and over. And then mom might say, okay, Jeremy, follow me. Say this after me. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed me from the curse. <laughs> say it like you mean it, boy. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. That, that was little puppet Jeremy. Marching up and down in the living room, following mom, making confessions. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. And if I was healed, then I am healed. And Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for me, for it is written, curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. He sent his word and he healed me by the stripes of Jesus. I mean, it was going over him and over him and over and over. What are we doing? I heard it. What are we doing? Shout it out. This is resisting. This is saying, I'm not putting up with this stuff. I'm not just going to let this run its course. I'm fighting this because Jesus has paid a very high price to redeem me from this trash. So I'm going to resist it. That's what it was like growing up in that house. And I'm so thankful for it too, because Sarah and I now with two kids of our own, guess what we're doing? Raising our own little puppets in the household of it. Raising our own little ones, right? To, to, to confess the word, to speak the word, to say the word, to run to the word. And, and it's funny, you know, when you start raising kids in this kind of environment, you listen because what's coming out of them is what you put in there. It's just coming back at you. And, and what was it? Several years ago, Justice was little. He's probably five years old. And Sarah and I were out with him one day. We were uh, in the car headed to an appointment. I think we were running a few minutes late. We called in some, uh, a lunch order and I ran in, picked it up, brought it back to the car and we're going to eat on our way to wherever it was we're headed. Hand Justice his little lunch. And Sarah and I are about to eat. And out of the back seat, we hear our little five-year-old Justice say, grilled cheese, you cool down now in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you might be house of faith. If your five-year-old gives the faith command to a grilled cheese sandwich. But how many know that's not happening in every house on the block? And we got a big kick out of it, but, but there's something to it, right? I mean, you're putting something in there. You're teaching them. Teaching our children, teaching ourselves, what do we submit to? What do we resist? And then finally, last week, we talked about the suffering of persecution. And it's coming, church. We know that. It's not something to be afraid of, and it's certainly not something to run from. We looked at several different scriptures that reveal to us what the spirit is behind it. And persecution shows up in different ways in different places all over the world. And I know that there are people in places around the world right now where religious persecution literally means their lives are on the line. They're being threatened with death. And maybe you and I don't experience it just like that, but there is a same spirit driving persecution on this side of the planet that's driving it on the other side. And the thing behind it, whether it's political, whether it's religious, whether it's uh, governmental, or whether it's just the way somebody treats you in the grocery store, what's behind it is an effort to disconnect you and to pressure you 
into separating from God, separating from his word, and separating from his people. Now, I read a scripture to you last week. It's something Jesus said just before going uh, to the cross. He told his disciples, tonight, you're all going to leave me. That the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they struck the shepherd and the sheep did what? Scattered. That's what's behind Satan persecuting, and particularly the church. And this is something we do see on this side of the planet. Satan finds a shepherd, somebody in a leadership position, somebody with a voice into a sheepfold. And he strikes that one in an attempt not just to hurt them, not just to disgrace them, not just to persecute them, but in an attempt to scatter the sheep. Folks, we got to be on the watch for this. We got to be wide awake to this. If the Lord has connected us as a family, if the Lord has put us together, then we've got to make the decision, come hell or high water, come pressure, I'm not disconnecting. I'm not unhooking from God. I'm not unhooking from his word. I don't care what kind of pressure the government puts on me. I'm not disconnecting because there's a flow of life to me. And I'm not disconnecting from his people. I'm not going to scatter just because that one's got a little pressure on them. You see what I'm saying? So we dealt with all that. Sorry, I didn't mean to re-preach the last six weeks of messages to you. But what that brings us to now is if there's a willingness on our behalf to suffer submission, suffer resistance, and suffer persecution without losing our faith, guess what's next? The God of all grace begins to go to work. Doing what? Perfecting you. Strengthening you. Establishing you settling you. Why? Because you submitted. Because you resisted. Because you endured persecution. And like Paul, you, you, you want more than anything to be able to say, I have finished my race. I have run my course and I have kept the faith. And if that's the case, guess what's right around the corner? Guess what is right in front of you? perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling. Now, something hit me yesterday. And forgive me, because I think I was slow to pick up on it. Going back to, who was here for the one hour, one service, or one scripture service? One hour, one scripture. You remember that? that it, it lives on in the history of this church. One hour, one scripture. Well, this is where we introduced this verse concerning 2022. And I said something to you that day, and I've said it several times since then, encouraging you to put these words in your mouth, perfected, established, strengthened, and settled, perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. And the reason I've been encouraging you to do that, and this is what I said to you, let the Holy Spirit go to work in you, painting a picture of what you look like of what life looks like when you've been perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. And I've said that to you several times. And it hit me yesterday. 
And I think it's because I got a sense in my spirit, maybe because I was having a, I don't know if struggle's the right word for it, but perhaps you were. You, you sit there and you try to imagine, what, what do I even look like perfected? I mean, if something's missing, if something's broken, if something's been stolen and I'm incomplete, what do I even look like perfected? And man, you can try your hardest to try to come up with that picture and maybe you can only get so far. If you've been wandering and not on course in life and you've tried this and you've tried that and it's like throwing a bowling ball down a lane with bumpers and it just goes back and forth. If that's what life has looked like, man, it can be hard to imagine what it would be like to be established, fixed on your course, headed straight for your destiny. No more turning to the right hand or to the left, but just going for God and what's right in front of you but it can be difficult. Is anybody with me? I mean, it can be difficult to try to work that up. It can be difficult if you've lived your life weak in any area of life, spirit, soul, or body, and, and you've just been run over and you've been beat up and you've been beat down and it just seems like every time there's a challenge, you fall to it. It can be difficult to try to imagine yourself strong. Am I telling the truth? It can be hard to work that up. It can be hard to imagine, man, what would my life be like if I was just settled? If, if there was no more up and down, if, if emotionally I was just a settled person, if mentally I was just a settled, if spiritually I just had a, a calm and a peace and a settling about me, how would my life be different? My, my house would be so different. The environment, the atmosphere of my marriage would be so different if I was just settled. And if it's been something other than that, man, it can be a challenge to, to conjure up, if you will, uh, an imagination of you different. And it finally hit me yesterday. And maybe I haven't said it the right way, but I'm going to get it right today. You don't have to. You don't have to try to imagine you that way. Let me tell you what I mean. The job, the job description of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. You want to know what his job is in you? You ready? To show you Jesus. That's his whole job, is to reveal Jesus in you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, so yes, it would be good to let the Holy Spirit paint a picture and go to work of, of Jeremy and what he looks like when the God of all grace has perfected him. But you want to know what Jeremy looks like when the God of all grace has perfected him? He looks like Jesus. What do I look like established? I look like Jesus. What do I look like strengthened and settled? I look like Jesus. So today, now that we have it settled, Lord, I'm willing to, su to suffer some submission. I'm willing to suffer some resistance. I'm even willing to suffer some persecution. And in response to that, the Lord says, good, because I'm willing to perfect you. I'm willing to establish and strengthen and settle you and the example of all of it is Jesus. You want to know what it looks like to live a life perfected, established, strengthened, and settled? Look no further than Jesus. 
He is the picture of it. He is the picture of perfection. So I'm excited today because this, this is what we're getting into now. We, I believe we finished up for now on what we were talking about before. We called that series, the trial of your faith. If you missed any of it, go back. It's all free on the internet. You can have it, but we're moving now into this life better than ever. This life perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. Amen? Perfected. What's it mean to be perfected? There's something I want you to do for me. There are some words I want you to take out of your vocabulary. And don't ever say them again. And it's these words right here. Nobody's perfect. Anybody ever said it? Have you? We, we, we tend to throw that around, don't we? Nobody's perfect. I want you to stop saying that. I want you to take that out of your vocabulary for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's not true. Somebody's perfect. Are you following me? So don't say it anymore for that reason alone. It's not true. Somebody is perfect. And number two, I want you to take it out of, out of your speech because most of the time, if not all the time when we're using it, it's an excuse. It's an excuse for our fleshiness. It's an excuse for our carnality. It's an excuse for our total lack of self-control. It's an excuse for just being a jerk. Well, f- you know, forgive me. Sorry, nobody's perfect. Folks, that's not an apology. If you're talking like this and your voice is like this, you're not apologizing. Sorry. That's not an apology. Sorry, nobody's perfect. Do you know what so often is the case? Whatever just happened and whatever you're arguing about, perfection was not required to fix it. It might have just been kindness. It might have just been some sweetness, some niceness. Nobody's perfect. I'm not asking for perfection. How about some kindness? We're going to stop saying nobody's perfect for two reasons. Number one, somebody is. And number two, we're going to stop making excuses for our flesh. Aren't we? Can we do that? Let's do that. Husbands, wives, men, if we're into it and heated discussion, don't, don't fall on that as an excuse. Well, you know, nobody's perfect. No, that's not true. Somebody is. Somebody is. And number two, we're going to stop making excuses for the flesh. So when I ask you from this point forward, how you doing? Your answer, of course, has been better than ever. But when you're perfected, established, strengthened, and settled, not only are you better than you've ever been, what you are is just like Jesus. That's the title of the new series that we're in. Just like Jesus. Is Jesus perfect? Well, you know he is. But I think the problem is in our understanding of what that word means. Because when we think of Jesus and his perfection, almost immediately you think of flawlessness. Am I right? You think of somebody who never missed it, never made a mistake, totally flawless, totally sinless. And though Jesus, of course, was and is that, when we talk about his perfection, we're actually not talking specifically about his sinlessness. We're not talking about his flawlessness. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. He was and he is. He could not have been our sacrifice if he wasn't. But when we talk about his perfection, I'm not referring to his flawlessness or sinlessness. When you start studying perfection in the scriptures, there's a couple of different words in the New Testament, two or three that I've found, that, that different words that get translated perfection. And uh, one of them, and it's the word we see here in 1 Peter chapter 5, to perfect, it means to mend, to mend what has been broken or something that's been rent. It means to repair. Listen to this. It means to make perfect or to perfectly join together, to perfect something. It means to perfectly join together, to prepare, to restore, to render. That's an interesting word to me. I'm not a super techie guy, but uh, you know, we've got guys around here on our staff that are. And a lot of times, you know, like when we, we put together some images for you, we'll, we'll say, this is what the lobby's gonna look like, or this is what this is gonna look like. A lot of that is a computer-generated drawing. And when we're working with these guys, they'll put in the, the changes that we want or, or, or make it look a certain way, but then they tell us, okay, well, now it has to render. And those of you who are in that world, you, you know what I'm talking about. You put, you put in the data, but then the computer has to process it. And depending on how fast the computer is, it can take a long time. But it has to render. That's actually one of the definitions of this word perfect, to render. And when it's done rendering, you have a complete picture. I want you to keep that in mind. To perfect is to render, to join perfectly together. It also means to fit out or to equip, to put in order, to arrange, to adjust, to strengthen. I like this definition of it, to make one what he ought to be. When the God of all grace is going to work perfecting you, what's he doing? He is making you what you ought to be, what you've been called to be, what you've been created to be. This perfecting, it's not about your sinlessness. It's not about your flawlessness. After the flesh, we don't get there. This flesh is never going to arrive at that. But spiritually and, and wholeheartedly, you can come to a place where you are completely rendered. You have been made what you, what you ought to be. Come on, nod at me or amen me or shout or throw something or let me know you're with me. Are you tracking? This is what it means to perfect. Um, there's another word that gets translated perfect. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter four. What are we gonna stop saying? Nobody's perfect. Why? It's a lie. Somebody is. Somebody is. Ephesians chapter four. I want you to begin in verse seven. Let me read several verses to you. He said, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. It's an interesting way of saying that, that he might fill all things. Now, whether you're studying the word per perfect or perfect or perfection, there's one thing that keeps coming up in every definition of it. 
no matter which original Greek word it was. You're going to see another one here in just a moment. But it's the idea of being complete. Complete. When you've been perfected, it's not that you're, you've arrived at this sinless, flawless state and you're some saint floating off the ground. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with your completion. Complete. And when he said in this verse here that he has ascended above all the heavens that he might fill all things, that's the word complete. That Jesus might complete all things. So Jesus did what he did and the job assignment on his life and ministry in, in this earth and in his resurrection and his ascension was to complete all things. Would you be included in all things? Would I be? In, yeah, we'd be included in all things. Verse 11 says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, you're about to find out what my job description is. I've talked to you about the Holy Spirit's job description, Jesus' job description, now you're going to find out what mine is, what the ministry assignment is. He gave himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. The King James says, for the perfecting of the saints. How does the God of all grace go about perfecting you? How does he go about joining you? How does he go about completing you? He puts your little self in a church under some ministry gift to feed you the word on a regular basis. And that's his grace going to work in you, completing you, perfecting you. This is what pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists, this is what our assignment is for the equipping, for the perfecting. Didn't I tell you perfecting, the de definition of it? Equipping? You see it right here. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. That's, that is these ministry gifts perfecting and equipping you for the work of your ministry. That is the assignment on the fivefold ministry to perfect and equip you to do what God has called you to do. You need some equipment in this life. You need some equipping or you could say you need some perfecting. That's what this word means. Equipment. How frustrating would it be to be given a task and told what to do and have no equipment to get the job done? Uh, we need you to enter the, all this data. Okay, can I get a computer? No. I, I, I need some equipment. I need you to dig this ditch by the end of the day. Can I get a shovel? No. You need some equipment. Folks, there's a big call on your life. You've got a heavenly assignment, and God has anointed you to do some things. And that anointing is the equipping. But you also need what's coming through these ministry gifts. I need what comes through the ministry gifts that God's assigned to me, to my life, to my family. There is some equipping that I need for this job. And if I'm not receiving from that gift, I'm trying to dig a ditch without the shovel. I'm trying to enter data without a computer. 
Somebody else help me out. I'm trying to paint a picture without a brush. What, what am I saying here? Do you get it? You need some equipment. Somebody say, I need some equipment. The anointing is what equips you, right? The word is what equips you. And this is what you're doing in here this morning. In case you're wondering, in case you're wondering, how did I get here? What am I doing here? When can I leave? Soon, but not without the equipment. <laughs> Don't leave without what you need to do the job. Are you with me? That's part of this perfecting. The perfecting, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith. In other words, our job is not done until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, ready? To a perfect man. Can't say nobody's perfect. Why? Somebody is. So you and I are supposed to be sitting under the anointed word of God given to us through these gifts that he gave to men. These these prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We're supposed to be hearing that, receiving from that, putting that into practice till we all come to the unity of the faith unto a perfect man. Now this word perfect is different than the one over there in 1 Peter 5. It's actually different than the one just a few verses before this, the perfecting of the saints. This word perfect has to do, are you ready? With growing up. It literally means to come to a full age, to develop. It means maturity. Now, no matter if you're studying this word or the other one, connected to it is this idea of completion, completed. What this is talking to us about is the perfecting that God is doing in our lives has to do with our growing up, with our maturing. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you need to grow up. Look back at him and say, you too. We all do. There's some growing that needs to take place. Come on, am I reading scripture to you right now? He said, till we all come to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Somebody's perfect. Who is it? Jesus. The picture of perfection. The picture of completeness. The picture of soundness. The picture of what somebody looks like fully equipped. To do the job gave, God gave them to do. Now here... Here's what we're going to start getting into. <sighs> Help me, Lord. You got the same stuff he's got. Jesus, in his life and ministry on this earth, was equipped with the anointing. Jesus Christ, the anointed one in his anointing. Guess what you got? you have a measure of the exact same stuff. The anointing that was and is on him is on you. Jesus ministered equipped with the Holy Spirit. 
you are equipped with the same spirit. And it's the same spirit that raised him from the dead that dwells in you. You've got all the same stuff he's got that made him perfect. What made him perfect is in you right now. I'm not talking about flawless, okay? I'm not talking about never making a mistake in the flesh. I'm not talking about never sinning. I'm talking about perfecting, equipping, growing up. And we see here what we're supposed to be doing is growing up into this perfect man, Jesus, into this fully mature, fully developed, fully complete man. He's our picture of it. And you got everything in you that makes him perfect. And you think, well, I don't know about that. I mean, Jesus is Jesus. And, you know, I don't know if I got all that same stuff. Folks, God would be cruel he would be mean to give you Jesus, say, this is your example, do life like he did, say what he said, do the same works he did, but I'm not giving you the same stuff that he had to do it. That would just be mean. God's not mean. This is not a mean dad. This is not a bad dad. He's a good God, which means the same stuff that he gave Jesus. And he did. The Bible tells us here in this book of Ephesians that God put in him every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He put it all in him. And guess what? The same stuff that made him perfect makes you perfect. So what's the difference? What's the difference between Jesus and us? If we've got the same stuff, the same equipment, what's the difference? Here's the big difference. You ready? It showed up in him. It came out. That's, that's it. That's the big difference. Perfection that was in him came out of him. That establishing that was on the inside of him came out of him. The strength on the inside came out. The settled, the, the, the settled nature of his spirit was on full display all the time. There's the difference. The big difference between us and him is whether or not it's showing up. And this is what I want you to think. When we talk in terms of growing up, I want you to think in terms of showing up. How do we know somebody's growing up? You can see it. Am I right? It's evident. It's obvious. And he goes on in this same passage here. Look at the very next verse. We'll just read verse 13 again. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. And here he goes to describe children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness, in deceitful plotting. He's describing children carried about. You know what that sounds like to me? Not established, not settled. He says, we're not supposed to be that way anymore. We're not supposed to be children anymore. 
When this perfecting has taken place, there's a maturing, there's a developing that's taken place. You're coming up, you're growing up into a full age and you are not supposed to be like a little kid anymore. Not supposed to be. And the problem is, and the reason we have difficulty wrapping our minds around this is because you can have full-grown adults in a 60-year-old body who are still spiritual children. There are things about children that define children and describe children that should not define and describe us anymore. There are things that kids do, your kids, my kids do, that it's cute because they're kids. And when you try it, it ain't cute anymore. It's not cute anymore. And one of the chief things that he says is definitive and descriptive of a child is they're tossed to and fro. Have you noticed that about children? However old they are, that's about the length of their attention span. You got a six-year-old, you got six minutes. You got a three-year-old, you got even less, right? You're gonna try to communicate something, you're gonna try to get something through them, you better do it in a hurry. Why, because they are over here and they are over there and as soon as you start talking, that's about the time they start checking out. And you know what, it's funny, it's cute, but not with you. It's not so cute anymore when you and I have been walking with the Lord all these years and been in the Word all these years. It's not so cute anymore when we're tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and we're over here one day. Oh yeah, that's good. Oh, maybe I believe this or maybe I believe that or this sounds good. Maybe I'm more along these lines. There's supposed to be a settling. With a perfecting comes a settling and it's not cute anymore. One of the things about children They'll believe just about anything. Have you noticed that? There are, that's why we have whole generations of younger brothers and sisters who were convinced, at least for a little while, that, that we just found you. Right? They've got an older brother who said, don't tell mom and dad I told you this, but you're not my real brother. We, we found you on the side of the road and we kept you. You're not even actually a part of this family. That's not true. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Believe anything. Don't tell mom I told you. <laughs> They'll just grab a hold of anything and believe it. This is not supposed to be the way we live anymore. We'll probably get into this in the weeks to come. But Paul said it like this. In 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter, he said, we know, anybody remember? In part. That means we, we, we know a little bit. He said, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect comes, that which is in part will be done away. Why? Because it's going to be complete. But the very next word, you want to know what he said? When I was a child, when I was a child, he said, I talked like a child. When I was a child, he said, I thought like a child. When I was a child, he said, I reasoned like a child. But then he said, when I became a man, you like the sound of that? When I became a man, when I grew up, listen to these words, I put away childish things. He did not say I grew out of them. There are some things, naturally, physically, that as you grow physically, you grow out of certain clothes. You grow out of certain things. You, they don't fit anymore. You can't wear them anymore. But there are other things. There are other ways, specifically ways of 
excuse me, ways of speaking, ways of thinking, and ways of understanding, ways of reasoning. That if you don't put those childish things away, they will hang around in your life year after year, decade after decade. And you will be a full-grown adult in the body and a child in your spirit, a child in the mind. There are some things that got to be put away. Man, when people fail to put things away, that's how you end up with 38-year-old men living in mama's basement playing video games because he forgot to put something away. Are you hearing me? There are things that are good and fine when you're a child, but when you are being perfected, when the God of all grace is working in you to perfect you, there's a growing up that has to take place. He said that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. What does it mean to perfect? To perfectly join together. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying, the building up of itself in love. He's painting a picture here. We're supposed to be growing up. We're the body. Come on, show me some hands, feet. We're the body, right? We are not the head, are we? That's already taken. Who is the head? Jesus. And the thing about the head on this body is it's full grown. It is a full grown man, adult head. Now just, just, just imagine this for a moment. How creepy it would be for a full grown adult man head to have a teeny tiny baby body. And sadly, that's what much of the body of Christ looks like. We got this full grown head on it with this tiny little body and these tiny little arms that can't reach past ourselves. And these tiny little legs that won't go walking by faith. The body has got to grow. We're supposed to be growing up into this perfect man this full grown, this complete man so that the body is capable of cooperating with the head. If it's a full grown head, how many think it should be a full grown body? And because of that, I'm not interested in staying childish anymore. And I hear this as the word of the Lord for this church and him saying to us, let me grow you up. Let me do some developing in you. Let me do some maturing in you. Let's put away some childish ways of speaking, some childish ways of thinking, some childish ways of understanding. Let's put some of that stuff away and let's grow up. Because it's about time, right? Let's do some growing, church. Let's do some growing up into a perfect man. And one of the things that's been so shocking and surprising to me, to Sarah, the further we've gone into ministry is in times that we've been around people, either people serving or people helping in one way or another. And, and to hear some of the stuff that comes out of their mouths, I'm thinking of, of folks that have been in and around ministry for decades and you hear the way they talk and you think, well, it's time to put that away. 
I, I thought you, I thought you'd been walking with the Lord for so long. I, I thought you've been in the word for so long and, and you talk like that and you treat people like that and you're that self-centered and you're that self-focused and you're that self-aware. See, that's children. Am I right? That's children. They know when they're hungry and they will let you know. Never once did either one of our kids in the days and weeks after they were born in the middle of the night come into our room and say, mother, father, I'm sorry for waking you up. I'm just so hungry. And, and if, I could, if, you, if you've got something for me to eat, I, I'd like it. If not, I don't want to disrupt. But you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. You go back to sleep. That's not what our kids said. You know what they said? Ah, I want to eat it. I want it now. You better feed me or we're going to keep screaming until you do. And that's okay because they were a child. Guess what's not okay? Guess what's not cute? You, me, screaming to get our way. Huh? Screaming because we want something that somebody else has. Mine, mine, mine. Children learn how to say this stuff without anybody teaching them. We got to put that stuff away. Why? Because we're growing up into a perfect man. Stop saying nobody's perfect. Why? Somebody is. Jesus is. And everything that made him perfect is inside you right now. What's the difference? Is it showing up? Every time he had opportunity, Jesus, to walk in love, guess what showed up? Love. Every time he had an opportunity to demonstrate peace and patience and mercy and kindness, guess what showed up? Peace, patience, kindness, mercy. At every crossroads of his spirit and his flesh, guess who he yielded to? Spirit. Guess who he resisted? Flesh. Why was Jesus the perfect picture of perfection establishing, strengthening, and settling because he was willing to submit. He was willing to resist what needed to be resisted. And he was willing to suffer persecution. And that is why you see in him this perfect picture of what you and I are called to be, created to be, and what we're growing up into right now. Let me give you one last scripture. Stand on your feet with me. This is what the Bible says in Colossians. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. I'm going to read to you Colossians 2. Before I get to that, let me just read this to you from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. In other words, I know you've never seen God in the flesh, but when you're loving me and I'm loving you, who are we looking at? Perfect love himself. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son 
as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. What kind of love? Perfect love. Fully developed love. Mature love. Casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect or complete or developed in love. And we love him because he first loved us. As he is, so are we in this world. I think a lot of people have taken that verse and taken it out of its context and, and come up with a lot of meanings for it. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I do believe that, that what was in Jesus is in us. I do believe that spiritually speaking, we've been born again of that same incorruptible seed. I do believe that we, we may not have a, a really good idea of the amazing things that happened in us when we were born again, the seed that got planted in us, the seed that's taken root. But here's the thing about a seed. It's got to go down it's got to take root. It's got to spring up. And then it starts to bear fruit. Or in other words, it starts showing up. That's how you, 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 you see maturity. It starts showing up. And what this whole passage is talking about is the love of God in us for each other. And how Jesus is the perfect picture and the carrier of that love. And as he is so are we. He carries love, we carry love. As he is perfected, so are we perfected. As he is established, so are we established. As he is strengthened and settled, so are we strengthened and settled. This is from the, the Good News Bible. It says, love is made perfect in us in order that we may have courage on judgment day. We will have it because our life in this world is the same as Christ's. The BSB translation says, in this way, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are just like him. Just like Jesus. Come on, say it out loud. Just like Jesus just like Jesus. Is this a true statement? Nobody's perfect. No. What's true? Somebody is. He is. And we are growing up as a body into the perfect man. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, in him, talking about Jesus, dwells all the fullness, all the completeness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Can you say that out loud? I am complete in him. Close your eyes with me. Let's just give the Lord just a moment to settle this on the inside of us. Say it again. I am complete in him. I am complete in Christ. I am perfected by the God of all grace. I am being established. I am being strengthened. I am being settled. And Jesus is my example. The same equipping that he had in this life, 
I have in this life. I am anointed with the same anointing. I am equipped with the same Holy Spirit. And by the grace of God, what is in me will begin to show up as I grow up into the perfect man, the head who is the Lord Jesus. Now just worship the Lord for a minute. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I don't know, maybe this could have said, been said better. Maybe this could have been presented better, but I'm asking you by your Holy Spirit to take what we're hearing and begin to root it on the inside of us. Lord, we want to live lives just like Jesus. It's in us. It's in us right now. Perfection's in us. And by your grace, it's showing up. Establishing, strengthening, and settling, it's in us. And by your grace, it's going to start showing up as we grow up into you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.